One thing I have to say, Anne, I love the name. Anyone who sees it knows immediately what it's about. And, and I hope the so. Ball, the arts. Yeah. yeah, totally. Green, I mean, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm going to start it. This is another episode of the Zoom Green Room, which is my favorite podcast because there's a lot of me talking. That's my favorite thing. And uh, I just want you to picture our normal Zoom room. I like to think of the green room as a very germy place, gross 70s velvet furniture. You can have a brandy. You can even smoke if you want because it's all virtual. But my esteemed guest this week, I met very briefly some years ago when I was honored with a cameo in his one person show. It's Jeffrey Wiley from Los Angeles. Yay! Hello, hello. Great, great to see you, Anne. Yeah, it was you met too. in uh, 13, 2013 San Diego Fringe <laughs> Festival, their inaugural festival. I couldn't quite remember what yeah, year it was, no, it but was I knew the, it was a while ago. Yeah, 13, I know. Um, it was their inaugural festival, and I was traveling down from Los Angeles to do my one woman show, and Kevin, uh, the, who ran the festival, I was talking to him because it's a one-person show, but there's one character that's off stage. Just we hear the voice, the next door neighbor, and I felt you know it'd be easier to just cast someone down there that wants to do it. And Kevin was the one that recommended you to me. I don't know if y'all knew each other beforehand, but he said, you know, I know this woman, and she she I think she'd be just what you need. Didn't know Kevin, but he had heard me. And okay. maybe that's that's what it was. Yeah, <laughs> that's what he was thinking of. Because I was, I it's funny. I was just did one of these shows with my stage manager Ansley, and we been we mentioned that, and I said it was funny because every show that I did with you was right after my show, and I mean immediately that I would run down three flights of stairs, kind of looking like a bag of garbage, and I said <laughs> I'd be playing one mean gross woman upstairs, and then I'd run downstairs to play a mean gross woman downstairs. That's yeah. my whole hit. Yeah, it was great. It worked really well. And that show was such a crowd pleaser too. Uh, thank you. Well, you know, that show is still going on. I, I it, the show, it's called uh, Texas Loves Lila. It's a and one woman comedy with some music. I first premiered it in Hollywood Fringe in 2012. And then the ne- did it again the next year and then took it to San Diego. And um, I have other things going on in life. So it takes me a long time to get projects done. So it took me a couple of years to write a second act to it, uh, which I uh, did in eight, 18 or no one can tell anything about, you know, anything post COVID nowadays when they're trying to remember things. Um, So I did the second act premiered that at Hollywood fringe again, actually delving right into green room topics. Um, I had then rewritten it again and started working with the director and had the full two act show written and ready to go. Right. So both acts. Yes. Both acts. Okay. uh, Or run them together. Like as a almost two hour show, no intermission. Right. Um, but the plan was to premiere the new final version after years of tinkering with it at uh, last uh, May in Montana at the Missoula Big Sky Fringe Festival. It was supposed to be the inaugural year of the Big Sky Fringe Festival in Missoula. From there, I was going to take it out on the road. I had two standing offers to take it, one in um, Minnesota, or Minneapolis area, and one in uh, Washington state. Because it's a very easy show. It's a, you know, bus and yeah. truck show, or not even a bus. It's a truck show that all fits yeah. in the car, you know. Totally. 
Um, so anyway, that was the, the history of that. And so I really just, you know, after all these years, I was ready to hit it and I should be on the road right now doing it. And COVID. Yeah. Now, do you think that'll, I mean, cause I know a lot of festivals and stuff are sort of holding place, like saying like, when we come back, we're not yeah. just going to skip to new people. We're going to go back to you. Do you think that's a possibility? Oh, well, yes. I, yeah. um, I mean, I, I plan to do this again, to launch it anew in uh, 2022, okay. summer or fall, when things start to really start to open up. But I actually, I don't, I don't want to do any more festivals with it. I'm ready to yeah. take it on the road and make money with it. Make it its own thing. Yeah. You know, I can't I mean, believe you don't want to just keep doing festivals. There's nothing more relaxing. Oh, no, no. <laughs> I, no. I mean, let me correct Oh, my me. God. <laughs> I love doing festivals. I will always do festivals. But yeah. for the show, Texas Loves Lila, you know, I need to make money on it. And well, I can yeah. make money on it because it's a one-person show. And I can, you know, use tech in every in whatever city I'm in. Uh, and the fact that you're, you're a nicest call of the crowd pleaser, well, it is. I mean, I, I really oh, yeah. uh, you know, get the best, best uh, one-person show at, at, at Hollywood Fringe in 12. And, and what it has morphed into now, especially with me working with uh, McCarran Kelly, the director, who was really instrumental in helping me hone the script, you know, uh, leading up to last spring. Uh, I mean, it's great. And the great thing, one thing that McCarran Kelly uh, did and helping me hone the script was take out all political and, and any timely references. So luckily right. when we get ready to launch this again, start rehearsing, get ready to launch it next year, we don't have to rewrite the script because it's timeless. Uh, and I'm thinking about even calling it like Texas loves Lila, a pre COVID tale because audiences coming back to theater, you know, everyone's going to be doing COVID stuff. And they just might want to break from that. So this is a very, you know, slice of old life. I Comment. think that whenever, I don't know when the Toronto Fringe is going to shape back up to actually be functioning. Because I don't know about even this summer if it's going to yeah. happen. But I know that it's all going to be like one man shows about suffering alone with COVID. <laughs> uh -huh. And listen, I'm going to be in I'm going to be in the front row. <laughs> I don't care how bad it is. <laughs> I'm going yeah. to be there. Yeah. No, I'll see them all too, but then I can be the little respite for everyone from it. Yes, you will. Um, yes, actually, you will. Too, so like here in the corner, that, well, there's a, my eight foot standee of Lila. Oh my God. They were used for conferences and stuff. <laughs> uh, it's eight feet tall. And then here, these boxes. That is terrifying, Jeffrey. <laughs> these, this is the, this is the, this is the show. Oh, those wait. are my props and set. Yes. All those boxes. Yeah. So I'm just ready. To throw in the car and go. I felt like we were the, like, you were the only drag queen at San Diego, but I felt like I was like the plus one. <laughs> like I was so close to being the second drag queen there. Right. But I mean, who, who, what other drag queen are you talking about? I don't know. My aunt Lila is. is well, Lila, a... well, I guess she, <laughs> she has a, a drag queen uh, aesthetic about her. Yes. As she, yeah. she's actually for our audience. She's a powerful it's, woman. It's uh, Lila, Lila like a rug that you saw. That is my aunt Lila from South Texas. Right. Uh, she lives in Cooterville, Texas, about an hour and a half <laughs> east of Corpus Christi, if you're looking at a map. So yeah, she, and she makes jokes that, you know, she wishes she were as glamorous as a drag queen and as pretty as drag queens, because she's always been kind of a mannish woman. Yeah. yeah. She was a, it's she's cool. a big girl. The, the inspiration for that show, were you, I, and I'm sorry if you did tell me this years ago, but were you from Texas originally? Yeah, I'm from Corpus Christi, Texas. Okay. Originally. And, okay, and um, this is what inspired yes, the play well, with this character? 
you know, I, I had been, that's right. We were talking about, you know, past, present, future. Uh, yeah. well, I started I, my first time on stage. I was eight years old. I mean, it's the second grade, you know, doing, I think it was doing, um, it was the night before Christmas and the Christmas pageant reciting it. And after that, every year, I mean, I just did everything I could. And I always knew I wanted to do that into high school, even in college. And, um, uh, my, I've been out in LA about 33, 34 years now. And uh, I've always had my toe or my whole foot and doing theater. I'm a member of a theater company that I've been involved with over the years on and off. And um, I just really love it. I had never done drag. And um, in the late nineties through the nineties here in Silver Lake, the East side area of Los Angeles, there was um, a little underground theater uh, where a show uh, ran for 10 years called the plush life that was um, a live semi-scripted improv sitcom that ran continuous episodes every Saturday night. And I was fortunate enough to get to be involved with that troupe with Mr. Dan, who owns the theater and uh, started performing in that. And although I was a boy in it, like, you know, 12 drag queens and, but not playing drag queens, playing actual women characters, female characters. Like a like, kids in the hall type. Yes, or Monty Python. Yeah. And I was a boy in that, but that was my first exposure to it. I eventually... My, you know, friends convinced me to try it, give it a try. And actually the first drag I ever did for the first year I did, I did three or four times. I did Dorothy Michaels from the movie Tootsie. I still have the same pink business dress suit and I had a wig like hers and got glasses just like hers. Cause I had the, I mean, Tootsie is one of the greatest comedies ever. And I had it memorized. So <laughs> I, I did that for like bingo things and stuff and appeared and I was Dorothy Michaels. I had a, a, this, this pink dress, uh, plus a lab coat, name tag, Dr. Emily Kimberly, you know, and all that. Okay. And, uh, I did that because she's Southern too. And, you know, and then one day having lunch with some of my friends, some of my drag mamas, uh, one of them said, you know, this is doing this Tootsie's cute, but you need your own character. How about, you know, right. get, you need a name. How about Lila? She actually said lilac, lilac a rug, like lilac a rug. That's I mean, pretty good. Oh, wait, wait, <laughs> Lila Carug. <laughs> <laughs> and she's my aunt from South Texas. And then that's how she was born. And I did her for, you know, a, a decade or so until I got the inspiration for this, the story of the first act uh, right. that, deals with, that deals with bullying and teen angst and teen suicide, gay teen suicide, even though it's a comedy. Yes. It was, yeah, it was interesting how the show, the show did sort of stay pretty light but that didn't also didn't seem wedged in. Do you know what I mean? Like, get a, a, you know, it was really, and I mean, I think it's because you'd really been thinking about it for a long time. You know, you, you obviously really worked on it. And I think that's why, you know, it went over so smoothly with the audience. Like I, I was just like, I was always enjoying, I mean, I don't know how many shows it was like five shows or something five like shows. that, yeah. but I was always, you know, sitting behind my little scrim, just thinking, damn, this is going real nice like because I could just sort of just see a bit of the audience through the crack and uh and I was so relaxed because I felt like I was um <laughs> the pressure was really off all I had to do was pay attention to when my couple lines were coming up yeah yeah you had the script and in your lap it's, let my it's mascara good. just run down uh yeah. from the show I'd just done upstairs just relax it's great well thank you thank you oh, I, I, uh, oh thank you I loved it yeah. I, I've done the, the first act, which is kind of standalone. It ends in kind of a cliffhanger. But uh, again, it took me five years to write the second act. But I've done the first act now in different festivals and its own run and stuff uh, probably 40 times. And yeah, because it wasn't I, new, right? When in uh, 
No, I, I premiered it in 2012. Right. And so did it in, in 13. Hollywood. Yeah. yeah. But uh, so I've done it a lot and over the years. And I'm, I'm really, especially now with, we didn't, well, McCarran and I didn't really change the first act. It's pretty much set. I, I'm really proud of it. It's a really solid piece. And, you know, it's, it's, it's in the, the family of Greater Tuna. And, and I know because of the response I've gotten, especially in, in festivals from strangers, so many strangers who had no idea who, who, who it was, 70 year old straight couples coming in just because they right. thought the poster was funny. And always people stay after to talk to Lila on, out on the street, always, even people, there was, you know, once a, like a 75 year old straight man, he and his wife were from like Wisconsin or something. They had their grandson and something at Friends. So they, they came to see it. You know, they're saying how much they liked it. And the, the husband standing behind the wife and he just goes, you made me cry, you know, and that, that <laughs> to me was just really touching. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I can't, I cannot wait, especially to set foot in red States and take this show with its message yeah. to the, the other side, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, because and it's they such still a, enjoy it. they still enjoy it, even though it's, you know, because of the character. Of how she well, that's what you've done is I think you've made the character so approachable and not making people even with pretty heavy, maybe beliefs feel threatened. And she is, it's not that she's not putting out a great message strongly, but the character is so warm that I think it almost tr would trip people into then falling into the story I, I'm, I'm glad that i've been doing the character because i and i love doing her and mainly you know I, i've managed to borrow over 20 years and so I've, I've always had opportunities to do her hosting things and or what have you and and doing her another bit you know skit shows and stuff but i what i love about her is that she's all about everyone else when she's in out in a crowd of people talking work in a crowd of course she has her jokes and and what have you but it's always about the other people oh tell me about you yeah you know because when you're yeah. standing in a group and there's a big crowd and you're standing with a group of eight or ten people around you and you know you're kind of you you want to entertain them but you will only keep them there if you start listening you know and she really means it lila's like tell me about you and she interacts with people and when everyone else sees that she's really connected with them it brought, draws them in more too you know it's, it's like you said drawing people in through the humor yeah, um, because humor, anyone, whoever, however cold hearted you are, when you're laughing, your heart opens a little. Mm -hmm. And if you can keep cranking that open and getting inside people, that's when you can then set off a little time bomb to hopefully kickstart something. Yeah. And again, I, I just I'm so thankful that, you know, the universe. I'm not really a writer. This is, you know, I've, I've only written a few things usually with a writing partner, but I wrote this on my own and I, it's from the universe. It's just yeah. cosmic. You were you truly know. inspired. Yeah. You know, yeah. it uses elements of my life, but it's just all right there. And I really tried to craft it that way so that it's comedy, comedy until that moment and the, toward the end of the first act, when you can hear a pin drop, yeah. don't give anything away. And uh, every time I've done it over 40 shows, it's always the same. Mm -hmm. So I'm really thankful for that. Yeah. You know, I've got a good hook with that. So, Do you remember, we'll get away from San Diego in a sec, but do you remember that preview night? They did the strangest thing where they were like, okay, we're going to give every show like two minutes to preview on the roof of the oh, theater yes. and the, it was the, outdoors. Yes, it was Monday night before the festival launch on Thursday or Friday night. One of the strangest nights of my 
whole life maybe because it was quite surreal. We'd just gotten there, but I have to say, and I'm going to be really arrogant here and say you and I were the only people who gave a decent show that night. I think because it was an, an inaugural yeah. uh, festival and I don't remember specifically, but maybe a lot of the participants, you know, didn't, it was their first festival. They weren't so, ready for but, that weird, a display where you're outside, you've got wind going, the mic didn't work. The mic wasn't, it, that's fine. Just, you know, yeah, you still go out, all you go all out. Yeah, you know, you but I, I do remember watching and thinking, okay, like there is, there is the, the variation was it was more it was really i'll never forget i remember that night more than the whole festival because yeah, yeah, it was, it was yeah you got there a bit later and you, you i gotta tell you you missed some real gems but i went up i don't know why there was something about the mix of us like Ansley being in san diego we were treated like the that community wasn't used to people who weren't from there Yes, that might be fair to say. Yeah, and small town. So we'd already gone through this, and I remember I just walked out and said, "I don't want that mic." And they went, "What? No!" I just said, "Just move the mic." So they did because by then they were afraid. And I did the whole monologue, but it was it 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 went over so much better than I could have imagined. And then yours was similar, but I felt like those were the only two where people actually stopped and watched because it was so distracting. That yeah. whole atmosphere was very distracting yeah. i could see right away that you could take that character and drop into any situation and you would have had total control of the room and that's what you needed in that situation like that's why you want to be that good because you could be dropped in the middle of a veranda with a gale force wind and a mic yeah. that doesn't work i i've actually always said I, I, this is not being cocky, but this is just how I feel about her because I've done her so much over yeah. the years. Uh, I could take, I could take Aunt Lila, walk into a biker bar in Alabama yeah, and in five minutes have them buying her shots because yeah. she is so unthreatening and she loves everyone. I mean, a lot of, you know, a lot of her, I've loved Dolly Parton since I was a child and her, it's her message. I mean, Lila is a lot nicer than I am. She, you know, she's right. She's a lot more loving. She's and nicer than most of us, I think. Yeah, yeah. And so, and and I, I just you know, people respond to that. Um, it. We took uh, you know, APAP, the uh, uh, Association of Performing Artists Professionals, uh, APAP. It's a big annual convention every January in New York. Okay. Um, you know, there are smaller conventions in regions all across the country, various kinds, you know, of, of small theater touring companies. And, and uh, so every, it's been going on over 20 years in New York, you know, a, a whole week the festival is always in the New York Hilton with, you know, 600 booths on three floors, you know, of this is where people that have touring shows go to sell their touring shows to all the small regional and larger theaters that take touring shows, right? In 18, no, I mean in 19, in 2019, we took Lila to, with our own booth to, um, in, well, in conjunction with a friend of mine, my, my producer, Victoria Watson, and shows she was doing. We had a booth there with the eight foot Lila and went there for eight days and worked this convention. Now, I had never been, I knew nothing about it really. I thought, oh, it's theater people. This is great. There's going to be theater people. So we get there at the Hilton and we're staying in the Hilton. You know, it's a huge thing. Okay. We're staying there. And the first time I come out the first day, because right off the bat, I'm like, boom, I'm out there flyering and doing stuff. Sure. And I get out there and the first day, day and a half, 
And that first night that the big ball, this is what I get from most everyone there. Because they aren't necessarily artists. Yeah. They're not necessarily artists. They're producers and money, you know, they're people that don't get it. But I just, you just plow through. She just, uh, Lila, and, and also, you know, she, Lila wears in big groups, she'll wear like, you know, eight inch platforms and stuff. Oh, so I know you're she's always, she's, she's a always giant. So yeah. I'm like, yeah. 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 So, but I tell you, you just have to, you have to believe in what you're doing. And, and especially if it's coming from the heart and that you just love people. And I just kept on and kept on. And by the, the second day, the, the third day, because the second day was, you know, more of the same. She was out in the day and in the evening and people, and she tried to talk to everyone. Well, by the third day, people were used to her and they got it and started talking to her more. And like on the late afternoon or early evening of the third day i'm on the one of the convention floors not the one we were on but one of the bigger the top ones with bigger stuff you know and it's really crowded and i remember i was talking to a security guard or something and i hear these two women off to the side yell out aunt lila aunt lila and i was like oh hi y'all doing you know because they remember me from the other day (laughs) yeah so i really you know i just you, you have to believe in in the integrity of your character whatever you're doing of your project yeah. And just do it with love and compassion. I know this sounds hokey to some people, but it's true. And people will it respond. It is true. Yeah. People, you know, especially now more than ever, we are all desperate for connecting with genuineness and integrity. You know, yeah. thank God we finally have it here in the United States in the White House again. <laughs> so, yes. Well, I mean, what couldn't have been an improvement? Not much. Now, tell, tell me about. Now, this is, if we're stepping a little more toward the present, tell me about Red Dirt Town. Oh, What's so that? um, that's right. So um, the theater company that I mentioned before, small theater company, Fierce Backbone, we've been around about 12 years now, God, almost 13. It's a playwright-based company. We sometimes do projects, some years we don't, but we have weekly Monday night workshops that writers bring in, now we're still doing it on Zoom now, writers bring in scenes they're working on and actors show up just to read them on stage and then they can, the writers can get feedback, you know, to go away and do rewrites. Back in 11 or 12, um, a lady, a woman joined, a lady, of course she's a lady, uh, Leslie Hardy. And uh, she's just fantastic. She had been an actress and model for years and then stopped that and started writing. And wow, turns out she's an amazing playwright. Yeah. So um, we produced her... Um, her first script that she wrote called A Good Grief back in, I think it was 12. I directed it. And so that's when we first met and we've just, you know, stayed in touch all these years. She, well, three years, three years ago, she wrote a play called Red Dirt Town that is about generational racism told through a love story. And that fall, the company voted on all the plays that were submitted and we chose that one to do on stage literally that week she got that script optioned by a production company for oh, a two-year wow. option and so she she had to pull it so we weren't yeah. able to do it well that company wound up after a year asking her can you turn this into a screenplay which she did and then by the end of the option they were like yeah we like it but we just we're not sure what to do with it so the option reverted back to her hmm. last year yeah and because i'd been i'd known the script for so long and been following her progress with it i just i told her we have to do this. You have to do this on your own. You have to produce it on your own. This is Mm. such an important story, especially now that we're going to need now and in the next few years, uh, a different take on racism. It takes place in Alabama. 
so she has put her faith in me and said last December, okay, let you and I produce it. I'm going to try to direct it. If we get to money people and they say, well, no, you only have a half dozen short films. You can't direct it. I'll have to step aside for yeah. that, but producing it is still enough. So you're producing and it as a film. As a film, feature film. Okay. Um, shooting, looking to shoot a year and a half or two years from now. We're being very realistic about this, you know. Yeah. But um, as I said, I have a half dozen short films that I've done in the past. I went to film school and blah, blah. And I, for uh, five of seven years, I was a DP on a web series. So. Yeah. Know. Your show, the bear uh, show. The, uh, where, the, where the bears are. Yes. Where the bears <laughs> like are. like the bear show. <laughs> where the bears but, are. And what, what did you, what, you were a production. Oh, I was the, I did the camera on it. Director for it. Right. I was this, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And um, I shot. So, I shot all but two seasons because I had a shoulder injury and stuff, but yeah. Um, yeah, it was a great show. So much fun. So uh, that's what the Red Dirt Town is the name of her script. And um, we're just now, I'm get, I'm finally after all these years in my life, you know, uh, getting to uh, getting all of my past work uh, loaded up on the internet because it's, I've never posted anything of all my work from years right. ago. So uh, we're getting all that set up so we can, uh, you know, form a production team and be taken seriously and what we want to do with this script. Does the company have a name yet? Third Act Productions. Okay. So if there was a YouTube channel, is that what it would be called? Yes. It's Third Act Productions is what we're, and you know, incorporating ads and stuff because we have other things we want to do, not just this. I have Mm -hmm. a a screenplay that I wrote with my writing partner years ago. That's still, it's a comedy still relevant uh she has other script ideas she wants to do so we're we're looking you know we're the same age and we're like what are we going to do uh yeah. like i said the name is inspired she thought of it from jane fonda talking about in the scope of life your third act is your most important act it right. should not be when you retire and sit down sure gonna, that's what we're just going to try to do you know why not 60s getting close baby <laughs> <laughs> well i can't i can it's hard to imagine you I, I, why do I feel like Lila's going to be around when you're like 85? That's, that's the beauty what, that's of what it. I think. I, Cause she can't be too old. The older I get, the better for her. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look at, look at, uh, Barry, uh, Barry Humphreys, you know, Dame Edna. Oh the my audience, God. If, audience people, if you, if, if you don't know Dame Edna, originally from Australia, now, you know, located, uh, settled in England, check her out. Dame Edna is brilliant. Barry Humphreys is now, I mean, I think he's 80 and it's gotta uh, he's, be. Yeah, and he's been doing her since he was in college. Yeah. And she's genius. Genius. Well, that TV show was some of the funniest shit. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, it was really masterful. And that character's shown up everywhere as well. Yeah. He's, he's still doing her. Yeah. 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 He's never going to stop. But I, I mean, that's the good. I mean, I, I even, you know, I'm, I, I don't, I never was really talented enough to act be you know that that show I did was kind of a one-off because it was such a a, a perfect fit yeah. like it wasn't a it wasn't a huge stretch it was just the the craziest meanest extension of myself but what I did like about it was that if I ever did feel like doing it again I don't think she can really get that old like she if she was 50 yeah it would just be even trashier all, like the older you get the trashier it is right yeah. I mean she's sort of she's the opposite of Lila. She's a scourge and a, oh. a, a, a roach on society, <laughs> but she's, for me, it's really fun. Then they have to appear together on stage. They can do a nightclub act. Maybe so. Maybe you so. I, I just want to talk, I mean, a lot of, 
the people I've talked to so far on this podcast, they do, they're like yourself, they're artists of all trades. You know what I mean? Like they have to do like your director, did photography, acting, and, you know, writing. And I'm really hyperactive. I have ADD. So I was like, what can I do next? <laughs> and can we, is it, do you mind if we talk about your day job? Oh, no, bit? not at all. I've because been very, this, very blessed, man. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I do find there's a weird, I don't know if it's right to say like a snobbery about if you're an artist, you're only an artist. If you're, you know, if that's your whole thing, but in our world, that's not realistic. It's not. And I actually think it it can enrich your art if you have other life experiences not doing that. uh, Oh, no, mine definitely does. Well, I um, my career profession, so to speak, in and out of school and ever since I was 17 has been bartending and waiting tables, you know, bar uh, uh, food and beverage. I had been in all the cities I had worked in, lived in and in and out of school and uh, traveling from all around Texas to Chicago, you know, and uh, San Francisco winding up here in Los Angeles, um, I had been working in bars and was bartending currently, presently, uh, for 17 years here in Los Angeles. Uh, I mean, I'd only been in LA eight years, but, and a new bar opened. I happened to meet this guy at a, in December of 96 at a Christmas, a house Christmas party. I just moved to the East side here of, uh, of LA from the West side. Okay. And uh, we started talking and he and his boyfriend at the time were opening a bar that in two weeks. It's funny because I had an idea of taking the same space. I was like, oh, I know, you know, it would make a great bar, that place at Sunset and Fountain. And he starts laughing and pulls out a black business card with gold lettering that says Akbar coming to Sunset and Fountain. I'm like, right. you got it? And he says, we just closed, you know, we just bought the place like last week. So we're going we're, we're gonna to paint it in the next two weeks and open. And uh, I was working in West Hollywood at the time at a, a place that had been open, uh, the Real End restaurant been open about six months. And so um, I didn't make the opening night party, which was New Year's Eve, because I was working. But the next night, I lived up the street from it, like five blocks away. So the next night, the first week of January, I was there every night after work. And great little place. You know, two guys that owned it were great. The first Sunday of January 97, when we closed at the bar I was at, the owners walked in and said, uh, we lost $400,000. So we're going to close. Sorry, you're out of work. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I stopped at Akbar that night on my way home. I'm like, can you hire me? And they're like, no, we, you know, we're, we have three staff <laughs> and we're staffed up. Um, but I'd been hanging out there and, you know, knew yeah. the guys and the guy, they, they had a third partner at the time that was managing it. And um, I got lucky the next, that next week, I think on Wednesday it was, he called me and said, Hey, our bartender for Friday and Saturday night just told me he's going snowboarding this weekend. So do you think you could be, would be comfortable jumping behind the bar and bartending, I'm like, yes, I, I did that weekend and he sprained his ankle. So they asked me back the next weekend on that Saturday, I, w- I was at the register in the middle of the night and he came up to me and said, Hey, I'm going to let the other guy go. He's not actually a bartender anyway. And we need someone like you who's been doing this forever. So that's how I got started there. And 23 years later, I'm still there. And um, it's, it's an amazing place. The two guys. And are you, up. are you like the bar manager? I'm the general manager. You're the yeah, general I'm, manager. Well, I mean, you know, it, it sounds more important than it is. <laughs> well, you climbed the ladder. Well, it's, you know, <laughs> two, two wonderful guys own it. And yeah. it's a small place. We have a staff, a full-time staff of maybe six and a regular staff of about 20 people that work there. But we're very much a, a neighborhood community place. And I mean, we're really blessed to have it. 
Uh, I'll tell the story because of the pandemic and being shut down since last March, you know, mm -hmm. like everyone, the owners uh, last month decided to do a GoFundMe to try to raise some cash, you know, to, because they're looking ahead through 2022. Yeah. It might not even open by late summer here in LA, you know, again. So they were looking ahead two years and they launched a $150,000 Kickstarter campaign that filled in 24 hours. We wow. did 150,000 in 24 hours. It was really emotional for yeah. us because just this outpouring of love and, and appreciation just makes you think, wow, you know, you just keep your nose to the grindstone and just keep the doors open every day with a good atmosphere and, and welcome everyone. And this is how it comes back to you, you know? So I'm very blessed. That, that That's amazing. That. Yeah. And so is it, it's completely closed. It's not, there's no takeout. There's no, nobody's. Well, we don't have there. a restaurant. We're just, no, a it's just a bar. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, but uh, it's okay. We'll be around. Akbar won't be going anywhere. Yeah. Well, it's good that they. I understand. I mean, I'm understanding that these guys they own the building. Yes. Because I think rent is the killer. It is, but also time. you know they're still more, they're still mortgage and stuff. And and they just understood. Yeah. Looking ahead to because even if we all bars even if we open in six months, it's initially going to be fifty percent or maybe even forty percent capacity. Yeah. So, and with, you know, restrictions, it's, it's not like restaurants where, you know, you, you can have a big outdoor area and serve a lot of people. We're limited to inside and we're not going to make a fraction of what we made before in the first year that we're back open. Right. So, but we'll be there. My goodness. I'm trying well, to think when the next possible time would be when I get to LA again, but I don't know when that will be. 23 one day 23 24 so yeah i'd love to i'd love to see that hollywood fringe that's for sure oh such a great fringe is it yeah, yeah hollywood fringe is it's this this year would be the 11th no the, the 12th year it's launched in 10 it launched in 2010 you know such a, it's such a great group of people and just well run i mean it's just a fantastic experience every year it really is yeah um, even if you don't do anything in the festival, just to go. And, uh, oh, yeah. No, I don't think we would want to do anything, but I would definitely want to go for sure. Mm -hmm. I also wonder, I mean, what I've observed myself is that I, I feel like in the arts particularly, I think that by the time we cross whatever finish line is coming for this COVID, that I think that a lot of people are going to find themselves not in the same position that they were. And I don't just mean because they were laid off or, you know, et cetera. I, I think people are going to leave their profession and go into another profession. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm wondering what you think sort of what the picture is for the performing arts in general, but also for yourself, like, where do you see yourself when this, when this finishes where would you like to see yourself? As I was saying before, I'm hoping, I plan, my a desire is to just step back on the train. I mean, get Texas Loves Lila. Yeah, you want to get the, right back up on the... Out there to tour. I, I, I'm ready to go, yeah. you know. Um, and I think, again, because it's, a, it's an easy show, it's a one-person show, I can either drive in my truck or, you know, ship in a couple of boxes, UPS, the set and everything I need to each city. Uh, it's a cheap show to produce for smaller theaters. And as far as looking to the future beyond that, uh, 
I, I am getting up in the years. And so I'm, I'm looking at my third act, as Jane Fonda calls it, yeah. what I want to do. My plan is every city, any theater that I go to with the show, I'm going to go back the next year with another show. Just go ahead and, you know, set it up then. Then say, I'll be back. You know, I want to build a character. Right. Uh, uh, um, uh, to have this character known in a lot of cities. Uh, it's like it's like Tyler Perry did with um, Medea. That's, I don't know if people know that story. You know, when, when Medea's first movie, I forget what year, when his first movie came out, her first movie came out, Medea, it was like a box office, I think it's made like $40 million. And people are like, what? How, who is this? It's right. because Tyler Perry had spent years and years traveling around the country performing in churches, okay. you know? Mm-hmm. And and uh, and throughout his whole community, Medea was already kind of known. And you know, I'm not saying that I'm going to be doing that with Lila, but I just want to be able to you know spend a couple of years touring shows every year, doing a new show. And so, do uh, you see her getting more chapters? Oh yeah. Well, this Texas wow. loves Lila. This story is complete in and of itself. Yes. Um, you know, I do have an. I already have an idea for my for the second show, which is more of a a um, concert story with a live band that uh, centers on one or two particular musicians' music. But it too would be a whole story. It would be like a play, but not done as a play. The storyline, kind of like a big TED talk or something. <laughs> so uh, um, that I'll, I'll have that to be able to follow up, hopefully, with Texas Loves Lila. Well, I d- yeah, I do think that your that character can do anything. And, and she'll be very entertaining for, for certain. And I'm really, really looking forward to seeing your other films online. I, um, I find, you know, I bought my, I'm really bad about all this stuff. You know, I'm one of those, I produce, <laughs> I like producing things and then it just sits on the shelf. Um, I bought my, my uh, domain name, Jeffrey dot, jeffreywiley.com at five or six years ago. Right. And never did anything with it. Uh, so I'm now as part of what Leslie and I are doing, getting our IMDb's updated because I've never even touched mine. You know, there's just random stuff on there that other people put. Right. I'm getting all that updated accurately and links to, I'm getting my website up with links to all the, the shorts so that we can start promoting ourselves to, you know, try to get some, some funding. So. All right. So it's Jeffrey Wiley. Wiley. W-Y-L-I-E. It's not, it's not set up yet. I think, I think it's parked at an old actor's a- access casting site or something. Well, I should look that up before I start putting it out there. <laughs> we can, we don't have to put it in, but. Um... Well, you know, getting back to what you were saying, asking about how this entire experience is the pandemic experience is going to change everyone's lives yeah. so much. You know, I, I, I still think we don't fully grasp the extent of all, what that change is going to bring about. You know, we're still in the midst of it. We're like, what is it now? You know, we're we're like in our adolescence or, you know, young teenage years of dealing with with this. But I I know that no matter what, no matter what the carnage and wreckage is afterwards, that I I think because we've seen it in other societies throughout history, there's going to be a flourishing of art and art community. Mm -hmm. Um, Once everyone gets, once the dust settles some, things are going to come back with a vengeance. You know, that's just, that's what history shows us. And I think in the long run, it's going to be a great thing. Even in smaller towns, people are going to be so, you know, most small towns don't have a strong theater presence, even if they have a small theater, you know, but I think after this, people are going to be so anxious to reconnect that even those places are, are people are going to flock to. 
Yeah. We, we need this connection. I think there That's may be there. more use of outdoor venue. Yeah. yeah. There may be, I mean, what I'm kind of hoping is that it gives people a, a new generation sort of maybe mm. a bit of an advantage to do things that nobody has even thought of before. Yeah. And, and, you know, maybe force the door open for new blood. Mm-hmm. And I, that's, that's what I do hope because I, I do think there, I agree there's going to be a, a big flourish, but I do think we're going to take a long-term hit in the meantime yeah. with, you know, with funding and, and purely loss of support staff, all these kinds of things. And with loss of small theaters that do feed into the bigger theaters. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, I've been, I said that a few times, I think sometimes people don't understand that when you lose these, if a community theater or a tiny indie theater shuts down, that's the small fish that was feeding into a Stratford upon Avon or a, do you yeah. know what I'm saying? So yeah. there's, there's going to be a time where I think the, the, the foundation is a little shaky. Oh yeah. It's going to, things on so many levels, uh, things are going to get a lot not to be a down, Debbie Downer, hey. but a, a lot worse in society on so many levels in the coming 12 months before things really start to turn around. Yeah. You know? and But sometimes uh, but in those dark times, people do think of the most creative mm-hmm. and are at their most creative. So that's, again, that's, it's, uh, it's good and bad, Yeah, but I do, I do like you hope for a, a, a rebirth almost well, of appreciation, will. especially, you know, but uh, I can't thank you enough for joining me oh, for this chat today great. on a Saturday at that. No, it's great. Every day is a day. Every day is the same day. <laughs> it's a long tube of, <laughs> of time that is blended into it, itself. But um, I, I do thank you. And, uh, you know, if you ever need a mean white lady recording <laughs> for any of your shows, you know where to find me. I'm always well, yeah, here. you know, when, whenever I, I bring, when Lila, Aunt Lila uh, brings <laughs> the show uh, up to Canada, you know, yeah. I can't wait for that. And yeah. uh, I do hope you take care. You if too, you're, man. oh, thank you so much. Yeah. If you're, if you're listening to this show on uh, Apple and you'd like to leave me a review, please do so and give me a rating. If you didn't like the show so much, do what I do and press those dark feelings deep down inside. <laughs> And then you're going to have to go to Lila for therapy. Okay. <laughs> All right. I, it's funny. It's funny. The, the new show idea I have is called Aunt Lila's Healing Our O'Power TED Talk. Yeah. That's what we'll all need for sure. So yes. you, you know what we want and you're going to deliver. <laughs> I appreciate it so much. Thank, Thank you. So much.